Uh, if you want to open your Bibles, Philippians 3. I'm going to f- actually make it into chapter 4 today. I'm going to start reading in verse 17, Philippians 3. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, beloved. So the plan, briefly, can be a little shorter this week just because we have communion and give you a break since I went a little long last week, is to do some historical background on Philippians, the city, and give some context for why Paul might have used some of the language he used here, and then try and bridge that gap from the first century, the context Paul is speaking into, into how it applies to us today as Christians. And so first half or so is going to be a little bit of historical background and then we're going to try and bridge that gap and talk about us. So just to start, let's talk about Philippi a little bit and specifically this book has a lot of language that isn't found in other books. I'll give you an example uh, from chapter 1 verse 27 says, let your... Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So that phrase there, let your manner of life be worthy, is a word that actually has the word city in it. Uh, it's, It's not very clear here in in the ESV, but it's a word about discharging your obligations as citizens. So live as a good citizen. Live as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. Very different uh, than things Paul has said elsewhere, and he uses that word uniquely there. And so the reason he does that is because... Philippi was kind of a different city, and it was a big deal to be a citizen there in Philippi. I'm going to read you a little historical background here. In 30 BC, after the Battle of Actium, where Augustus, that's the emperor, defeated Mark Antony, he raised the city, Philippi, status as a colony and gave it the name uh, Philippi. In honor of his daughter, there's a longer name, um, in 27 BC. And he gave more land allotments to people from Rome, which he snatched from the native population to give to veterans, so that had served in the Roman army, to ensure their loyalty to him as their patron. He also settled their 
many veterans of Anthony's, Antony's Praetorian Guard and allowed many of his supporters who were not allowed to return to Italy to settle there. So, a little bit more background. Philippi is a colony, and it had special rights that many other cities in, in, Ro- in the Roman Empire didn't. It had the right of self-government, and enjoyed immunity from taxation and tribute, and was given a special legal status equivalent to those of living on Italian Italian soil. And they had a special name for this. So if you lived in the city of Philippi, according to the Roman law, it's as if you were living in Italy, in the capital um, where Rome started, Roman Empire started, and they had special privileges. If you lived there, things like immunity from taxation and some other monetary things. And so citizens there were proud of their relation to Rome. And it actually comes up in Acts 16 where they are upset at Paul and they say he's, he is espousing practices that aren't lawful for us Romans to practice, which re- the reality was um, they're not living in Rome, Right. And the thought is there that it could have been people from Rome that are saying this, but more likely the Philippi had this special status as a special colony. There's no other one like it in the area, another city that has this special status. And so they saw themselves as uniquely Roman, especially Roman. And the city itself was set up in such a way that it mirrored Rome, a lot of the architecture and buildings and things like that. And so... That's the background. And then we see this citizen language come up over and over again in, in this letter of Philippi. And we also see a lot of military language, which makes sense because the background is this city that has a special status and is populated a lot by veterans from Rome uh, that were in the military and now live there. And so we see Paul using language like standing side by side, striving side by side for the gospel and that is specifically a military phrase, you know, like the phalanx where they would lock arms and have the shields going uh, side to side. And then a lot of the citizen language, like chapter 1, like we talked about, but then also here in chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. So that's an overview, and I'm going to give you a few specific things about Philippi, and then we're going to try and bridge the gap between those and how Paul applies it to the Philippian Christians. So a little bit of more background, four specific things. First, citizens were expected to submerge their own interest and profit to that of the city in, this, in Roman culture. So you see, here's this bigger context, and do I put myself first or do I put... Uh, those around me first. And he and the expectation was that you would put, as a citizen, other, the larger interest, above your own. There's actually a story that is told, um, a, Roman, a Roman story, pro- similar probably to what we think of when we think about George Washington chopping down the cherry tree. It's like, here's this story, and it's kind of, it's a story about George Washington, but it's more than that. It's, a, it's about the culture of America and what it was based on. And that's kind of the story 
of a guy named Cincinnatus. You, you probably recognize the name because Cincinnati is named after him. There's actually a statue in Cincinnati of Cincinnatus, but he's a Roman who was in the military, and this is about 400 years before Jesus, and he retired, and he was living on a farm, and the Roman army, uh, just the city of Rome at the time, uh, was caught and captured, basically, in this uh, place where they couldn't get out either side, and everyone was really worried what's going to happen we don't have any soldiers or we're on the way somewhere and we got basically got trapped and so they went and they said let's ask Cincinnatus and so the leaders of the city went and got Cincinnatus who was just working on his farm and said basically we're going to make you we're going to give you all the power of Rome right now if you'll go and capture and you'll be the leader of Rome for for now we're going to hand all our power over to you and so they did and he went with boys and anyone who was left, and he actually freed the, the army, and they came back safe and basically saved Rome. And the story, the point of the story is basically that at the end of it, he could have made himself king. He actually had all, they had already given all power over to him, basically made him a dictator, and he gave it all back. And he said, uh, now I give it all back, and I'm going to go back to my farm. And so he put his interest of the others above his own interests. And so that's kind of a value that they had as a citizen. A good citizen would be like Cincinnati and say, you know what, I could have taken things for me and and used my own uh, power and and what I've gained for my own benefit, but I'm going to lay that down for others and I'm going to give it up. And so that's kind of the culture, Uh, at least it was 400 years before Jesus, and an expectation so citizens were expected to submerge their own interests to, the, to that of the city. And I want to add one more note there. They actually honored them. So you've heard of crowns going to people in the Roman culture who, for winning like Olympic-type events. They actually also gave crowns out for good citizens. And so they honored them in that same way. So it was like kind of a civic honor. So that's the first piece of background. The second is that Philippi was an outpost of Caesar's empire, and he was, Caesar was deliberately alluded to in ways that Paul echoes here in, in Philippians 3 as Lord, Kyrios, and Savior, both words they would use for Caesar. And so that's what Paul calls Jesus here, Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so think about the comparison Paul's making there. Paul's saying to the Philippians, you have a different Lord, and his name is Jesus, and he's the real Savior. And if you think, too, about back to uh, to Paul's life in Acts, Paul appeals to Caesar. You remember this when he's on trial. He He, because he's a Roman citizen, is able to appeal to Caesar. So citizen had special rights even to where the king was bound. Remember that? King Agrippa said, I would have released him, but he appealed to Caesar, so I can't do anything. So as a citizen, you have a special right to appeal to the emperor himself, and it ties the hands of even the highest leaders. Even the kings can't, can't get around it. So you see these special privileges of citizens in the Roman Empire being able to relate to Caesar in a way that others can't. That's the second thing. The third thing, uh, historical background-wise, is that the rights and privileges of a citizen um, 
we kind of covered this a little bit already, but they had special rights, not just being able to appeal to Caesar, but immunity from taxation and the self-government like we, we talked about briefly already. Now Paul's comparing that to us, right? He's saying that we're citizens of heaven. Can you think of some, some ways that our heavenly citizenship is like that, that we have special privileges because we're citizens of heaven? There's some obvious comparisons there that we're going to make. And then, last, Roman colonies were set up as miniatures of Rome. So, like I said, this specific colony, Philippi, had architecture, had the plan, the, the layout of the city even was set up to mirror Rome. So when people would go there who retired from Rome, they would go in and feel like, wow, this feels just like Rome. The architecture, the, every, the way it's set up, the culture, this is just like a little Rome, even though we're far, far from Rome uh, in Philippi. So all that is background, but let's think about how that specifically applies to us for a second as Christians, because notice what he says is our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the historical background. Now let's try and bridge it to what is Paul saying at the time to the, to the citizens of Philippi who are Christians. He's saying you're, you're used to thinking about your citizenship as a big deal. And it is. I mean, it is a big deal at the time. But you have a greater citizenship, and that's in heaven. Although you're a citizen of Rome, your greater citizenship and your primary citizenship is in heaven. And you're expected to submerge your rights to the good of others, just like a good citizen Roman citizen would, even more so a Christian. We put others before ourselves like Jesus. We just spent two weeks talking about that. In the same way you're expected to do that as a good citizen, even more so a citizen of heaven. Not only that, you have a Lord and Savior, the real Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not Caesar, who's God. You can appeal to not just Caesar, but God himself. You can cry out to God. And in the same way that it ties the hands of kings to appeal to Caesar, you can tie the hands of Caesar by appealing to Jesus. Right? You could say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus saved me. Jesus helped me. Much A much higher appeal. We have special rights and privileges. We've been given a land allotment, haven't we? A new heaven and a new earth. The meek are going to inherit the earth. We're waiting for heaven. We're waiting for God to come down and put everything right, and enter the promised land of the new heaven and the new earth. And not only that, we are, as citizens of heaven, living in a little outpost of a different, of a different kingdom, aren't we? A little heaven right here. We are citizens of heaven, even though we're not there yet. There's not the new heavens and the new earth, but we're living it now as the church. A little heaven right here on earth built up of citizens of heaven. And so those are all ways that Paul is looking at this citizenship and this pride of citizenship in Philippi and and using it and turning it and saying, yeah, but remember, you're citizens of heaven. You're citizens of heaven. And so all those things that you have and you've been thinking about and you've grown up really the culture... uh, thinking about in terms of Roman citizenship, you need to change your thinking and think, now I'm primarily a citizen of heaven. 
And so how do we apply this to us? Well, let's, let's just think briefly a few, few ways we can apply it to us. Well, the, first, the first thing we can do is just remember where we are, where we are right now. We're, we are in a little outpost, aren't we? we? We aren't to the promised land yet. We're citizens of heaven, yes, we're, but yet we're not living in heaven. And we feel it. I mean, this world is really messed up, and it does not fit us, does it? Though we have this little outpost here, we don't fit in the world. We love Jesus, the things we love, the world doesn't love. Things, you know, First John says, if anyone loves the Father, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's like we're, we have these competing loves, right, with the world. The world loves these other things, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, First John says, and then we love something totally different. We love the Father. We love God. We don't love uh, the things the world is after. When you see an ad on TV, which is, think about what an ad on TV it is. It's like, whatever you want, I'm going to try and twist your desires to get you to buy this thing. And think about what Christians think about ads on TV. It's like, they're despicable. It's like, we don't want, we don't, <laughs> I don't want to see what people are putting in ads on TV. It's just the opposite <laughs> of, what I, of what Christians are wanting. To see, you know, I, I want to turn my eyes away from ads on TV. It's appealing to the world's desires, and it's disgusting to us. We're avoiding it in many ways. Pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, all those things. You look at an ad, and it's like, you deserve such and such. Like, well, no, I don't. You know, we don't. <laughs> I don't. And um, there's lots of other things we could talk about. But just think about that. The world is trying to sell you something, and it disgusts you. And it's the, it's the same for us to the world. The things we love, the world is disgusted by. You know, we talked about it last week. We look at Jesus on the cross and how he died for us, and we think, man, I just want to be like that. I want to love others that way. I want to lay my life down for others. I want to put God above my own interests, and the world's like, that's disgusting. They, they're disgusted by it. I don't, it's all about me and my desires and putting me first. And so we're at odds, and we feel it in the world, don't we? This isn't where we want to be. We've we got to remember where we are. We're citizens of heaven, and we're aliens right now. We're not there yet. And so we've talked about this before, but it's worth saying again, if you feel down and you feel tired and you feel ready to you know, move on, that's normal. It's, you're not where you're supposed to be. Things aren't right yet. Things are messed up. The things about the world that... The people in the world feel okay living with, they just eat away at us because we know this isn't right. I want Jesus to come back. I want to put all things right. For me this week, I heard for the first time, 85,000 kids have starved in, some, um, in Yemen. Oh, there's a war going on in Yemen. They won't let aid in, and 85,000 kids have starved. That's so sad. It's like it makes you sick, and you just cannot... <laughs> can't hardly get it out of your mind because it's so messed up and so sad and you just feel the world is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not where I want to live forever. This is, I want things to be so different. I want there to be a new king, Jesus, and I want him to be in charge and put all these things right. So we've got to remember where we are. We're not where we want to be. We're aliens here. Yeah, we're not going to fit in. That's okay. 
things aren't the way we want them to be and you feel sad, you feel discouraged, that's normal. It's normal because we shouldn't be able just to go on with our lives like, ah, no big deal. 85,000 kids starving in Yemen. I've got plenty of food in my, at least I've got plenty of food in my cabinets. That's how it should be, right? You know, you think, man, I wish I could get food out of my cabinets. I wish they'd let people in. So we've got to remember where we are. We're not at rest. We have peace in the big things, though. I mean, we have peace with God. We're not afraid to die. We have peace through the blood of Jesus. But at the same time, we have unrest in our hearts. One thing, just a side note here, I didn't plan this at all. It just happens to be this one of the few places where it's almost impossible not to talk about politics because it seems like Paul's explicitly bringing it up. He's explicitly saying here, this is a big deal, your Roman citizenship, but your citizenship is really in heaven. And here we are, you know, a couple weeks away from an election. What's our primary citizenship? It's in heaven. Yes. You know, this is not going to, our next election is not going to fix all our problems. Jesus is the one that can fix all our problems. We need Jesus. We absolutely, absolutely need Jesus. You know, there's kind of two sides. One, you know, we don't want to not use the responsibility that God's given us and the, you know, the blessing and the opportunity to vote. On the other hand, we don't want to get to the place, and this seems to be more dangerous, where you think that your Savior really isn't Jesus. You're looking in your life to politics to solve your problems. And it's not going to. Jesus is the only one that can. And we don't want to get there. Uh, We don't want to be leaning so hard that our hopes are destroyed if somebody is or isn't elected. Uh, Where we're angry and we're sinning because we can't handle our emotions or our words. We don't want that. That's not citizen of heaven. Uh, Our allegiance is primarily to Jesus. And so... Second thing, let's move on from there. We've got to remember where we are. We're not where, we're not where our real citizenship is. Uh, but we do want to remember where we're citizens of. We're citizens of heaven. We've got a Savior. You know, one thing that's interesting and helpful about this is just a reminder, after the last basically two weeks we talked about living a life of imitating Jesus, just circling back around and remembering, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for a Savior, a King, Jesus. Meaning what? Meaning we're not going to be able to imitate Jesus enough to get into heaven to earn our citizenship. We're still waiting for somebody to save us. We could spend the rest of our life you know, pouring our lives out to try and imitate Jesus. And you know what? You're going to fall short and need a Savior still. No matter how successful you are, we need a Savior. We're waiting on a Savior. Waiting on a Savior. We're citizens of heaven. We've got a different King, Jesus, and we are leaning on Him. We're leaning on Him. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for... My joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, beloved. Beloved, We need to just stand firm in the Lord. 
Stand firm in the Lord. That's the next the next point where we're going is heaven. We're citizens of heaven. We're really coming back here, new earth, uh, eventually. But the reality is, heaven will be on earth, and things, all things, will be made new. That's where we're going. How do we get there? Just by standing in Jesus, standing firm in Jesus. It's not by imitating Jesus good enough, or coming to church enough, or confessing your sins to a priest, or taking communion, or saying the right prayer, or knowing some fact, or being able to say this verse and that verse, or knowing the right answer to theological questions. None of that is the way we are going to be a part, be a citizen of heaven. The only way is to stand firm in Jesus. Lean on Jesus. Trust totally in Jesus. It's not our power, our merit, nothing that we can do is going to get us there. It's just leaning back on Jesus. We talk every week really about something different from the Bible. The passage brings up a different point, but we don't want to make the Christian life too complicated. What's the Christian life? Leaning on Jesus, depending on Jesus. How do you become a Christian? The way you become a Christian is you realize, I can't do it. I'm not going to get there. I'm not going to get to heaven. I deserve to go to hell and not heaven. Uh, I, I can't free myself from my sins. I can't wash away my sins. I need Jesus, and I'm leaning on him. I can't do anything on my own. And then how do you live the Christian life? That same way every single day. You wake up in the morning and you say, I can't do it today. Uh, If it's up to me, I would turn away from Jesus. I need Jesus today. I'm not going to be able to live the Christian life apart from Jesus. And you go to work, and I can't do it today at work unless you help me, Jesus. And then you go to sleep, you wake up, and you do it all over again. You live the Christian life the exact same way you become a Christian, which is stop trusting in yourself and totally depend on Jesus because he is able to meet your need. You have a need? It's met in Jesus, and we're just going to lean in and lean in and lean in. Do we pursue him? Yes, we pursue him. We want to be like him. In the end, though, you know what? When the harder I pursue Jesus, the more I realize I need to lean on Jesus. Because if I try and imitate Jesus, when I try and imitate Jesus, I realize, man, I'm not like Jesus. I need Jesus, and I'm leaning. I need to stand firm in Jesus, just cling to him as hard as I can. Because it's not, I'm not going to get myself to heaven. Jesus is the only one that can. Last thing to think about here, looking at this passage, I guess two things, but one thing I want you to notice about leaning, stand firm in the Lord. If you remember anything, just remember that. I mean, you could be saved from that. I mean, think about it. Just stand firm in the Lord. Just trust in Jesus. There's pressure from the outside. Cling to Jesus. And look at that last word, beloved, beloved. Stand firm thus in the Lord, beloved. Does that, anybody have another, ESV says my beloved, but is there any that don't say my, just says beloved? Does the NASB say my beloved, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved? Interesting. Um, That my, is that in italics in the NAS? No, interesting. Well, that my is supplied. And so, uh, it could either be Paul loves them, which he already says earlier in that verse, or it could be that God, he's referring to them being beloved of God, which is very encouraging to me if you think about it. Stand firm in Jesus, and then the reminder, you're loved. Like You're, you're not just standing firm in Jesus, you're, you're loved by Jesus. You're loved by Jesus. What an encouragement. 
when you try to imitate Jesus and you fail, just cling to Jesus. He loves you. When you have a hard day at work and you lose your temper, stand firm in Jesus. He loves you. When you're trying to be patient with your kids and you, you, you're not doing a good job, uh, stand firm in Jesus. He loves you. There's a lot of things. A lot of things uh, that that could apply to, and we don't want to make the Christian life more complicated than it is. We're just standing firm in Jesus. And then finally, I want you to notice just, again, this is something that comes up over and over Philippians, but the corporate and other other nature of what Paul's talking about, the otherness, we, we just said it that way, in verse 1 of chapter 4, he's saying, My brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. He's talking about how much he loves them. It's not just this individualized Christianity where we're standing firm all on our own. We're citizens of heaven in, one, in a city made up of one. We're in a body. And his love is just overflowing for them there. He loves them. He longs for them. He calls them his joy and his crown. So we want to remember, you know, we're not where we are. We're not where we want to be. We're not, heaven isn't here yet. It's begun, but it's not here yet. It's not fully consummated. That's where we're going. We get there by standing firm in Jesus. But then we need to ask ourselves, what about others? Who's going there with us? Paul put people as his priority. He's living here on this earth not for his own comfort, not for his own success, not for his even his honor. He's really saying that others are his honor. He's pouring his life out into others. I this week someone I heard someone ask, "Where what's your dream? Where do you want to be in 10 years? What do you want to have, have accomplished?" And if you think about that, that question, where do you want to be? What do you want to have accomplished? What will you feel most fulfilled in 10 years? Is the answer something to do with people? Or is it something about us and me? Um, because my tendency is to think about me. And when I hear that, I think, I think of things that I could do. And I don't think about pouring into other people. But that's not the way Paul looked at the world. He's looking at the world. He's not thinking, what degree could I get? Um, what accomplishments do I have? He's thinking about people he's poured into. Those are his joy and his crown. That's why he's here. Is that for us? Is that the same for us? Is that the same for me? And if it's not, we can just say, Lord, I'm not people-oriented. I'm accomplishment-oriented or whatever-oriented. And my dreams are about me, would you change it? Would you make me like Paul? And when I think, where do I want to be in 10 years? I think about people, loving people, pouring into people and seeing them standing in the Lord. Would you, would you make me like that? We can just ask. We've got the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. When we don't put people first, you know what we could do? Stand firm in the Lord. <laughs> Say, we need you, Jesus. We need a Savior today just as much as we need a Savior the first day we believed. Help me. Help me to put people first, not accomplishments first. I mean, in one way, it's 
it makes sense from this worldly perspective. You write a book and you put it on the shelf. It's like it's there always. Like there it is. It's done. It's accomplished. On the other hand, when you pour into people, you can't just put them on the shelf <laughs> and look over and feel good. You know, it's different. It's harder, but it's better. And so we want our dreams and our hopes to be pouring into people for the kingdom. Um, we want people with us as we move on from this world to the next. Just to conclude here, if you do remember anything, we can just remember we've got a good God that he's already purchased citizenship for us. We don't we have the privileges now we can appeal to him our standing sure because of what he did for us on the cross even though we're not there yet. And we just need to lean into him. When we have a good day, when you feel like you did great, lean into Jesus. Stand firm in the Lord. Don't get too far from him. When you have a hard day, we lean into him. Think about this too might just think about this. Do you feel like a citizen of heaven today? Feel, feel the reality. I'm on my way. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus is going to resurrect me from the dead. For me, the answer is no. I don't feel, I don't feel like a citizen of heaven today. I feel kind of out of touch personally with, with Jesus today. I, feel, I, don't, I don't feel it emotionally. The reality is, what do I need to do? Stand firm in Jesus. Because it's not about my feelings. My feelings aren't going to get me there. Jesus is going to get me there. And my assurance is not based on my feelings, based on how firm a foundation Jesus is. And that's where I'm standing. It may not be emotions for you. It may, it may be something else. It might be... There's people that have genuine intellectual difficulties in terms of they're wrestling with issues. What's this? What's, what does the Bible mean here? And it bothers them. I mean, I don't know if you're built like that. Some people, it's, things like that don't bother you. But if, if they do, not just emotional difficulties, maybe you're wrestling with a decision or, or something intellectually, same thing. Stand firm in Jesus. Give it to Jesus. You don't know how this or that fits or this or that going in your life. You, what, one thing you can do, stand firm in, in the Lord. Give it to him. Circumstantially, it may not be something internal like emotions or, or intellectual difficulties that you're having. It may be circumstantial. We just, what do we do? Stand firm in the Lord. Trust in him. You got a difficult situation on the outside, uh, something difficult going on in your family at work. What do you need to hear? Stand firm in the Lord. He loves you. You're beloved, and you can trust him. Whatever's going on, it's safe. Maybe it's a sin problem. You know what you need? Jesus. Lean on him, not on your own strength, just on Jesus. There's a lot of things uh, going on, difficulties, whatever it is, you could just insert it there. You've got this difficulty in your life. Stand firm in Jesus. Stand firm in the Lord. Lean on him. Let's pray. God, thank you for... Your word, thank you that it's true no matter how we feel. And thank you for this letter that you use Paul to write and that we can benefit from today. We do want to be citizens of heaven. Would you help us walk that way?
today, would you help us tomorrow, the rest of the week? We need you. We love you. We're thankful for you. Thankful that you love us. And we lift up this time uh, remembering your death to you. Just thank you so much for dying for us when we didn't deserve it. We didn't want to know you. We're thankful that you didn't leave us there. Thank you for being a savior to us. Thank you for being our Lord and King. And we're, we just say, come Lord Jesus, we want things to be put right. I do pray for all the kids in Yemen, all the parents that have lost kids. Um, have mercy. I pray that even government-wise they would open the door there for aid to come in and that this war would end there. We just hand Yemen and all the other really sad things going on in the world to you and we trust you. Make them, we want it to see all things new. We're looking to you. Amen.